So, have you ever asked the question, God, if you're out there, where are you? Don't you think that if God wanted us to take him seriously, he'd have made himself a bit more obvious? See, I mean, you might be a Christian, but you're struggling with doubt. Or maybe you're a skeptic, and you want to know if there really is a God out there, where is he? You hear a lot about Jesus, and you might be trying to tell your friends about Jesus, uh, but it's hard to believe in God himself in the first place. How come God is so hard to find? If you are their God, where are you? Now, I've been mulling over this for uh, a fair amount of time, uh, and I reckon the Bible gives some pretty good and pretty solid answers. Uh, God, why haven't you made yourself clearer? The first part, point one, is that deep down, every human knows that there is a God. Check out verse 22 and 23 with me in Acts. How sick is that passage? Paul's just like chilling in Athens and he's freaking out because everyone's worshipping all these different like gods. And he's like, no, Jesus, it's the best. But anyway, verses 22 and 23 um, says there, uh, Then Paul stood up in the middle of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens... I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I found an altar uh, with the inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, let me proclaim to you. Um, See, these guys in Athens, which is in Rome, I think, is that in Rome? It's somewhere. Um, These guys in Athens are super religious. In fact, they're so religious... They worship so many gods that they've even got this little shrine dedicated to one of the gods that they might have missed. They're so keen on it. And there's a bunch of people who hang around all day and all they ever do is just talk about ideas and new stuff to think about and just just nothing, really. They're bums these days. They'd be bums. But then they were philosophers. They love religion and they just love thinking about stuff. But it's not just them. It's everyone. The Athenians here that we're reading about are an example of everyone, every people group in history. Uh, See, if you turn a book to the right, which we can do because we're grown-ups, turn a book to the right to Romans and get to chapter 2, verse 15, and we'll read it together. Romans chapter 2, verse 15. Good work, Sean. Um. It says, they show that the work of the law, sorry, yeah, the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts will either accuse them or excuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to to my gospel through Jesus Christ. Um, So it says there fairly clearly um, that the law, which is the commands of God, everything that God wants, everything that God loves, is written on everyone's hearts. Um, See, we all have a sense of God and a sense of his character. And that's true, isn't it? See, we feel wrong about murder and about rape. And if we steal, we feel guilty. And if you ask any little kid whether they feel bad when they lie to their parents, you're going to get an answer of yes, unless they're lying to you, but they probably still feel bad about that. The point is that we have a sense of what God wants and what God's like. We have a sense that there is a God. Throughout all of history, almost every single culture has had a religion and a God or gods that they worship. 
See, in the last hundred years or so, we've had a few people claim to reject the idea of God and the idea of religion. But other than that, it's everywhere and with everyone. We all have a sense of God. Now, as you take a look at cultures all through history, every single one of them shows the same picture of people trying to find God. We've all got this God-shaped hole in our hearts. Um, But how did that get there? Normally, if you have a hole in your heart, you'd see a doctor. But no, for this, I reckon there's a few different reasons. If you turn back to the Old Testament, let's go to Psalm 19. This is awesome, isn't it? It's like an expedition. The magic school bus... Yeah, Psalm 19. What about the world tells us that there is a God? Psalm 19, pretty much in the middle of your Bibles. It starts with these words. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech and night after night They give us knowledge. Uh, Creation and everything around us screams at us every single day that someone made it and that someone is glorious. Nature and everything around us leads us to a sense of there being a God. See, at the very least, when you look at nature, it begs the question of you, well, who put that there? I mean, if you see a watch or a coin or anything like that, you're going to say, who put that there? You take a step back and you look at everything in the universe. What made it? Who made it? Some of you might say, okay, well, the Big Bang did. Okay, sure, Big Bang made everything. What made the Big Bang? Childish question. But the answer is very simple. If the Big Bang was responsible for everything, something was responsible for that. And you can keep going back and back and back, asking who, who, who made that? Who put that there? Why is it here? And the answer has to stop somewhere. That something or someone has to have been there forever. And that someone is what we call God. And so everything about nature itself leads us uh, to the knowledge that there has to be a God out there somewhere. So, from Psalm, let's go back to the New Testament, back to what we were just reading before, Acts chapter 17. I'm hearing less and less flicking every time. No. Okay, Acts chapter 17, if you're already there, um, verse 27 says this. He did this so that they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. So that says that God actually made us with a desire to seek him, a yearning to find him. Today, this is crazy, right? Today I uh, I read about an article in the Daily Mail about scientists having found a gene which leads humans towards believing in God. Check it out. There should be, there you go. There's a picture. It's blurry. But I've highlighted some stuff and it says, religion is part of human nature and our brains are hardwired to believe in God, scientists believe. There you go, next slide. Thank you. Um, Everything around us points to God. It's in our eyes and it's in our hearts. Nature, our hearts and our very genes want us to believe in God. Now, all of this isn't 100% proof that he exists. Um, The fact that we all believe in a God uh, that we naturally, naturally lean towards the idea of there being a God, that doesn't prove that he exists, but it's a pretty good indicator that he's there. 
See, without conspiring, collaborating, or uh, without connection or contact, we're all sure for ourselves that there's a God out there. This God-shaped hole is a huge indicator that there is a God meant to fit there. At this point, maybe, there might be a little bit of angst, maybe a little bit of hurt or confusion, because someone might be asking, okay, well, if it's so obvious that God's out there, if he's so sure of himself, and if I should be able to see him, why do I find it so hard to believe? Um, Or you might be asking yourself, if God is such a no-brainer, why do all my friends treat me like I'm the idiot? Why am I the joke? See, it's easy when you're looking at a nation or a culture to see the whole trend um, that we're all leaning towards God. But what do we make of the people who reject or disregard God? Um, What do we make of the doubt and the struggle in our own hearts? Uh, Firstly, if you're a Christian and you're doubting, you don't need to feel alone. Don't feel like you're an outcast or a letdown or a failure. Um, See, it's easy when you look at the world and you can see that, and you can't see God himself, um, to question whether we're right. It's easy to feel that if it's all of our friends saying one thing, and we're the only ones saying another, then maybe they're right, and we should believe them. You're not alone. Don't feel, uh, don't feel like you're a letdown. Yeah, okay, but why does it happen? All right, well, take a look with me at Romans 1, 18. Yes, more. So much Bible. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It's just a book to the right, if you forgot from last time. And it says this. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What does it say we do? It says we suppress the truth. We hold it down, we close our eyes to it, and we don't want to know. Uh, Deep down, we all do know. See, look at the next verse. It says, For since the creation of God's, sorry, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen. Uh, They've been understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Uh, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal beings, humans and birds and animals and reptiles. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. Although, on one hand, deep down, we all know that there is a God... We're sure of it, we suppress the truth, and we'd rather not believe it. Why? Well, in our hearts, we've given up the truth. Uh, The one God who... uh, We've given him up, and we've started worshipping idols or anything rather than God. We want to be God, and so we push God aside. So then, we're left with this God-shaped hole in our hearts, and we have to fill it with something. It's too big. So we go to other religions, or we go to really nice cars, or we go to boyfriends or girlfriends or good times, and we worship those things instead. 
We have a dream. We have something that we want to achieve. We want to love. We want to give our time. We want to give our effort and our emotions. And we worship that. So for the Christian, although we know the truth and God has saved us, yeah, the old nature of our hearts wants to reject God. And that's when you're going to get that doubt creeping in. Part of overcoming these doubts is growing. And you'll overcome doubts and fears by God's Spirit. So keep it up. Keep fighting. We saw on fat, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, the old has gone, the new has come. You're a new creation. Uh, so you can continue to fight that. Um, but that's the same reason that when we talk to our friends, when, uh, when they hear the truth about God, they recoil from it. Um, they'll ridicule us and they'll reject us uh, because their hearts are rejecting God. They don't want someone telling them what to do. So again, don't give up. Uh, we were all God's enemies. Uh, but at just, the right, at just the right time, Christ died for us. So your friends might still be enemies of God, but keep praying for them and be loving and gracious and keep sharing the gospel. So here's a heaps good way of understanding this, right? Have you ever been on school holidays? Well, yes, yes, you obviously have. But have you ever been on school holidays? Have you been loving life and just getting up to mischief? And then suddenly, it just dawns on you. You're in the middle of putt-putt golf or something like that. You're spray painting someone's car and it dawns on you. Oh, no. Oh, no. That English exam is due right after the holidays. It's 12,000 words and I've done like none of it. Oh, no. There's something... There's something that I've got to do by the end of the holidays, and I, oh, I can't quite remember what it is, but I, I, I'm pretty sure there's a huge assignment that I haven't even started. The feeling starts nagging at you, and you, uh, you're just not sure. You don't want to ask one of your mates, because you know that if you do, you're going to have to do it, and that's going to ruin the rest of your holidays. It's going to suck. Twelve, like Staying up to 12 every single night trying to get this assignment done, and oh man, you just can't bear finding out the truth. Because if you did, it'll change everything. And so you know that though that's what's going to be good for you, though that's what you need to do, otherwise you're going to fail. You just can't bear it. We're all sure deep down that there is a God. We all know it. Um, but most of your mates are going to want to ignore that. They're going to want to ignore the, uh, the discomfort of changing what they're doing and possibly giving up what they think is fun. It's that same thing. But the fact is, we know. And so this gives the same lesson to both of those who trust in Jesus and for those of you who don't. Don't buy the lie. The lie that says it's impossible to find God, that he's far away and hard to find. He's not. God is not far away from any one of us. See, look in verse 27 if we're back in Acts. Acts 17, verse 27. It says, He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. So you can tell your friends about him and you can be confident because you know that they can find him. It's not impossible and that God actually wants them to. And if you're still looking, you're still trying to find God, God's not far away and he's certainly not impossible to find at all. Keep looking. See, we have enough information in everything around us that we have no excuses. We ought to have been thankful and obedient to God, but we haven't. So we're all guilty before God. That's why we need to share the gospel, because all of us need salvation, and only that can give it to us. 
Now, okay, so if by this point you agree that, yes, okay, sure, there might be a God. There must be a God. Um, uh, we can see things about him through his creation. Does that mean that we therefore know him and that everything's fine? We know that there's a God. That's fine. We know him. No, no, poo, poo. No. Um, go Robin Hood. Uh, you can't make it up. You need to actually find out the truth. Look at what Paul says in verse 29. We're going to stick around Acts for a little bit. Verse 29, he says, Being God's offspring then, he's, he's quoting one of these Roman poets who've said they were all God's offspring, and he's using that to talk to them. He says, Being God's offspring then, um, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. See, even though we have enough of a sense of God to know that he's out there, to know that he's divine and to know that he's eternal, we can't just decide what he's like and make it up. That doesn't make sense. We can't go with our feelings either. You see, we can't decide what God should be like, what we feel like he should be like. We're looking for facts about an objective God. Uh, And the only way of finding those is by finding where he reveals himself, where he shows himself. So, I mean, when it comes down to it, that's like trying to figure out, you, trying to figure out, what's my Uncle Warwick like? Actually, that's a good exercise. You, what's my Uncle Warwick like? Shrug. Eden, you probably know me pretty well. What's my Uncle Warwick like? Anyone? (laughs) Oh, man. Tell you what. Flattery will get you everywhere. No. Um, You see... You guys don't know what he's like. What color is his hair? What color is his eyes? What does he do? Where does he live? How tall is he? Is he actually a man? Yes, all of those things are a yes. They're not even yes options. So the point is, you can't tell me anything about him. What if then? Okay, let's say I took you out to Dubbo and I took you to his house and we walked in and he's not home, but you can walk around and you can look at anything. Okay, so you might be able to tell tell me things about him. You might be able to work you might be able to work out what he's like. You might be able to get a sense of him. But if someone said, oh, do you know Elliot's Uncle Warwick? You'd be like, nah, nah, I've just been to his house. Or, oh, I think he likes squash, but I'm not too sure. Um, You can't just make things up about him. You need to actually find out because he's a real person. You can't make up truth. All right, so let's say that we're standing in my Uncle Warwick's house and his son comes home. Right, so you meet him, the son, and you get to talk to him, and he tells you heaps of things about his dad uh, and about himself. And then he says, in fact, me and my dad, we're so similar that you've practically met him. The fact that you know me means that you, you know my dad. Um, so when, the, when my cousin offers you a drink, that's my uncle offering you a drink. When my cousin gets you a help to paint the house, you've just helped my uncle paint the house. Okay, cool on your Uncle Warwick. But the point is, Jesus of Nazareth actually makes the same claim. He says that this exact scenario has taken place. See, although we're chilling in God's world, uh, we can see a bit about what God's like. We can't know him intimately uh, just by looking around. But then Jesus comes along and says that he's God's son. He's come to us from the Father to show him to us so that we can know him. There's a lot of hymns and us's in there. Jesus has come from God the Father to show God the Father to us so that we can know God the Father. Um, 
So his claim is that if you're searching for God, if you are searching for God, you only need to look at Jesus. Uh, It's as easy as that, he says. If you're looking for God, pick up a Bible, start reading Mark or John or Luke or Matthew, and boom, you found him. Um, Now, I might make it clear here um, that that, that means that if you're someone who says, yeah, I believe in God, but I'm just not so fussed on Jesus, then you actually don't believe in the one true God. You've actually rejected him. Because if you hate, ignore, reject Jesus, you've ignored God. Okay, so let's look at the full picture of what this means. Because Paul reckons that this here is a huge deal. He's sure that Jesus is the be-all and the end-all. If you want to find God, you take a good long look at Jesus. Jesus' resurrection is the answer and the proof. Um, See, remember, we're trying to find the answer to that question. God, where are you? And Jesus' resurrection gives us the answer to that and the proof of that. So take a look with me, verse 18. Um, It says here, some of the philosophers came and argued with Paul, and they said, what's this pseudo-intellectual trying to say? What's this, you know, know-it-all trying to say? And others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign gods, because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. He was talking about the resurrection, and these guys think he's a preacher of foreign gods. Because of that, turn to uh, verse 31. It says, because he is set a day, that's God, Because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man that he has appointed. And he's provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. These philosophers came up to Paul and what do they claim? They said he's preaching foreign gods because Paul was talking about Jesus and his resurrection. Um, And then look at how Paul finishes the argument. God commands everyone everywhere to repent because he set a day when he's going to judge and he's given us proof of this by raising Jesus from the dead. That's where Paul starts. That's where Paul finishes. To Paul, Jesus rising from the dead is the answer to the question and the proof to back it up. How? As a fact of history that you can investigate the evidence for. Jesus rose from the dead. And that's impossible unless he's God. So it's proof. See, this here carries huge weight for everyone. Um, but first, let's take a look at what, uh, why Paul is so sure about it. In the same book of Acts, it's a story of a whole bunch of things that happened in the early church, if you don't know. It's just like Luke, but instead of just about Jesus, it's the whole church. It's the Acts of the Apostles. There's a bit of information for you. And if you turn back to chapter 9, we're going to take a look at verse 5. Here it's talking about a guy called Saul. Similar name. That's for a reason. It's the same guy. He changed his name after he became a Christian. So you can tell he's not a Christian yet. He's on his way to Damascus. And he's persecuting the church. Paul, or Saul, is a Jewish guy. And he hates Christians because they're claiming lies about God. Well, that's what he thinks. He hates Christians. And so he's putting them in jail. He's murdering them or beating them. He's doing anything he can to stop this this lie from spreading. That's what he thinks. So if you read chapter 9, verse 5. 
uh, or from verse four. It says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. But get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you're meant to do. See, Jesus, the guy that Paul thought was a heretical blasphemer, a liar who claimed terrible things about God, that's what Paul thought, claiming to be God before he was flogged, crucified, stabbed in the heart. That guy is appearing right in front of Paul. Now, I'll say that again. Jesus, the guy who claimed to be God, is now, having been killed standing in front of the number one enemy of his church. Which, if Jesus was an ordinary guy, would be pretty confusing. Paul turns his life upside down. Instead of putting uh, Jesus' people in prison, he starts trying to preach Jesus. How do you explain that change? He saw Jesus risen from the dead. Okay, so here's another big thing to think about. If Jesus did rise from the dead, if he really did die and he really did come back, then everything that he ever said about being one with God the Father must be true. Think about it. If Jesus was claiming to be God and then died for it, God has two options. Because we know that there is a God and this guy's claiming to be him. If Jesus was lying, all God had to do was just let him die and the die and the lie dies with him. But if he was telling the truth, of course Jesus couldn't stay dead. And the fact is, Jesus rose from the dead, glorious and alive. God gave everything he said the big stamp of approval, the big thumbs up. And one of the things that Jesus claimed about himself was that he was God. By raising him from the dead, God said, yes, he is. It convinced Paul, and now Paul's trying to convince us. So if you want a great reason to believe the story of Jesus, well, Paul himself is one of the best. See, he absolutely hated the church because Jesus claimed to be God, and that was blasphemy. Then he became a Christian himself because he met Jesus in the flesh. And since you've been so great already, all right, I'll give you a couple more points. Here we go. Jesus fulfills century-old prophecies, heaps of them, hundreds of them. So hundreds of years before, the Old Testament portrayed a picture that Jesus amazingly and thoroughly fulfilled. Amazingly fulfilled it. Incredibly fulfilled it. And thoroughly fulfilled it. Plus, hundreds of real people in history confirm it. So, from here, go forward a couple of books to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. One Corinthians. Should be like next to Romans. Yeah, it is. Yes. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 7, if we want to read that. It says, For what I received, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day 
according to the scriptures. That he appeared to, to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. And then last of all, he appeared to me. Remember that story on the road to Damascus? He appeared to me as of one abnormally born. Then Paul's... Um, yeah, so, so according to the scriptures is the thing that he keeps repeating, that he died and that he rose again. Um, all of this was prophesied and Jesus fulfilled that. And then hundreds of people saw him. And you've got um, uh, quite a few historians, Jewish and Roman and Christian, who all say that this guy, Jesus, of the Bible was the real deal. So after this, Paul goes, goes on to say that if that isn't true, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then his life, as well as our lives, have been wasted and every part of our faith is useless. Here is a man, Paul, who's convinced of Jesus' resurrection and his divinity because he saw it. Jesus' resurrection is the answer and the proof. Where is God? Right here. He's done the work for us of making himself known. And he's done it through Jesus. Now, the whole story takes like 10,000 years. So I've had to leave heaps and heaps of it out. Um, But at the very least, we know where to start looking for answers in the Bible. And more than that, um, we know that we don't just have answers. um, But we know that it's important to find them. See, God has set a time when he's going to judge. It's said there right at the end. He's set a time that he's going to judge and he's just waiting for us to come back. He loves us so much, but it's urgent. Now, there are thousands and thousands of books that could explain to you the evidence for the historical Jesus. His claims to be God and the fulfillment of prophecy. There's heaps and heaps that you could find that could explain that to you. And we sell a few of them at church. Um, So they'll be on sale tonight, and in the next two weeks, we'll have a bunch of them. So if you missed out on fat, go and get some. Or if you didn't even go to fat, or if you're still just curious, heaps and heaps of books. Um, And uh, and if you do have more questions, and you do want to talk to someone about it, or you're not sure exactly what all of this means for you, um, then next week, we're doing that Life Uncut. So you'd heard about it before. It's free, goes for four weeks, gives you free food and everything. Man, that is tops. Life uncut, answer your questions um, or give you new ones, which is always better, I reckon. Um, And that's for you if you've either recently decided to believe or if you, sorry, recently decided that you want to believe and follow Jesus. Um, But it's also for you if you haven't yet and you just want more answers. Um, So you can ask a leader about Life Uncut and they can tell you about it. Um, But mostly ask a leader about it because they'll want to know that you're interested in going along. It's really, really helpful and it's really encouraging. God, where are you? Well, he's made himself known. He's written it uh, on our hearts. He's made it obvious from the universe uh, that he's put together. And, um, and he speaks to us in the Bible. It's in our hearts, it's all around us, and it's in the Bible. Most of all, he turned up, 
He turned up in Jesus and showed himself to us. And then he proved it by rising from the dead. He's spoken. He has spoken. The real question is, are you listening? All right, I'm going to pray now um, and thank God for these things. So pray with me. Lord, thank you so much uh, that you're not just a clockmaker who made this world, wound it up and left it to be. Lord, thank you for being not just a God, but our God. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Um, And Father, we thank you that um, even though some of us might have doubts, um, Lord, that you've saved us and you, uh, you want us to be part of your family. So Father, when we are weak or when we do doubt, Uh, If we do find it hard, please help us. And if we're struggling, um, if we see no encouragement because we're sharing your word with our friends um, and there's, there's no response, Lord, please help them to see the truth and help us to continue to persevere. Lord, uh, yeah, we just ask that your word would go out and more and more would see that it's truth. More and more would see that you are their God, that you love them and that they need to come home to you. Father, we just ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.